Is it important to you to succeed in business without sacrificing your family, your health, or your life? Do you want to know better time management tricks as well as business strategies that are going to free up up to five extra hours a week for you so that you can go out and enjoy your life and experience true freedom? Do I sound like this is me talking about what I preach to you all the time? Well, almost, but instead it is my fantastic guest on the Untapped podcast this week, who's talking about the freedom formula on steroids, like next level. So I can't wait for you to listen into this episode. Hey, I'm Natalie Sisson, a Kiwi, best-selling author, speaker, podcaster, vlogger, and business coach dedicated to helping you tap into your potential and get paid to be you. So David Finkel is the founder of Maui Mastermind, which is a business coaching company who have worked with over 100,000 business leaders to help them achieve a growth rate five times the national average in the US, which is really impressive. And basically, we talk about all the things that I am passionate about, which is not working a 72-hour work week or seven days a week or sacrificing everything in order to have a successful business. We talk about how you have a radical new approach to restructuring your priorities and time, to reclaiming your hours of the day and creating more value and less time and ultimately more freedom. Uh-huh, you know it because you know I love it. Specifically, David and I talk about why working longer and harder just doesn't pay off and what actually does. We also talk about one of my favorite rules, the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule, but why that doesn't go far enough and how to make it even more productive in extreme ways. We talk about how to operationalize your work and life in a really, really good way and how to escape the time and effort economy. Plus, David actually goes into how he structures his week, how he chunks and block things and how he makes time for focus versus pushing. So there's a lot to dig in here and we're just going to go straight into it. Welcome to the show, David Finkel. We are going to talk all about freedom, my favorite topic and obsession for the last 10 plus years. I'm so looking forward to it, Natalie. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, me too. And I think we should just dive straight in because one of the things that we are definitely going to discuss right now is why people are so obsessed right now with working longer and harder and thinking that that is actually going to give them the success that they want in their life. And more importantly, what it actually does when we do that. So would you love to talk a little bit first off about your background and what's led you to really think more about this freedom formula that we all need in our lives? Yeah, absolutely. So once upon a time, a long time ago, I was a, an athlete. I was training to play in the Olympics for the U.S. team. I played on the national field hockey team, I actually lived over wow. in Australia and then UK for some time playing for club teams. And I got hurt before the Olympics in 1995, before the 96 Olympics. And I stopped and I, I, I started up my first successful company. I'd had one company before that had failed. I did that while I was in college and dropped out. The second company just hit. It was a coaching business and it worked really well and we scaled Gosh, it just went from zero to about eight-ish million in revenue. And we did that in about eight years. And then I sold my half of the company. At that point, I, I kind of thought I knew all there was to know and got humbled by some of the mistakes I made right afterwards. But I think the, the biggest thing that changed everything for me, Natalie, was I started my next two companies soon thereafter selling that one. And when I had my 
first two sons, their twins, Matthew and Adam, it just changed everything. It was 2009, the very beginning of the year. And prior to that, I'd built the companies where I, I didn't really have to work, but I still was a workaholic. I was taking two or three months a year of vacation, but when I was home, I was working probably still 70 plus hours a week. And with this new company, wow. when my kids were born, I really made a decision. I said, I'm going to approach this more like a, an astronaut. And an astronaut has a certain limited amount of consumables of fuel and oxygen. And so I set two very hard and fast rules for myself and it changed the way that I built my company. The first was I said, across all my active businesses, I'm not going to work more than 40 hours a week. I'm just not. The mm -hmm. second consumable I set was I'm going to take at least a minimum of 10 weeks of real vacation time. And I did a third consumable, which was prior to that, I was probably traveling one, one and a half weeks per month doing workshops and keynote talks. And I set another consumable, which was my travel days per quarter. And I said, I'm going to go no more than four travel days per quarter mm -hmm. without my family with me. And when I did that, what it did is it forced me to have better habits and better strategy around how I built the company. Yeah, and we've been scaling and growing. Yeah, and that, that changed everything. So if I'm, I really am in alignment with this idea that we're culturally convinced that we need to work harder to succeed. And hard work is a lovely ingredient, but taken to the wrong way, it really won't lead to the result that we want, which is time, freedom, and an impact on the world. 100%. Thank you for sharing that. Isn't it interesting how I think kids do often change everybody's life, various things, moving country, having a family, and also just really aligning with your purpose or having some sort of an event that sets you back, like whether it's a health scare or, as you said, like an injury where you really have to take stock and go, what am I wanting to spend my time on? How do I want to wake up every single day? And what impact or legacy do I want to leave in this world? And it takes a bit of deep work, I think, to actually reflect on that and look back and forward as to what you really want. So good on you for actually figuring that out by the third business. I'm curious, what was the business in college that failed? Because I think from every failure, you learn a lesson, right? So I'm sure it contributed to the success of your next business. Absolutely. So I was enamored of this particular healthcare product, and it was for weight loss. And if you could imagine, part of the reason it failed was at the time I was 22 years old, I was an Olympic level athlete selling weight loss programs. And it just made no sense. I wasn't passionate about it. I did it just simply because I thought I could I could make a lot of money and it didn't align with any of the deeper values that I had. So that was my biggest awakening lesson. And I lost my life savings at the time, you know, $3,200. It was everything that I had and best $3,200 I ever spent. Yeah, I bet. A great life lesson, huh? Did you, out of interest, did you get paid as an Olympic athlete? Was there a stipend or any kind of sponsorship for you or was it a pretty... Yeah, I mean, I did support myself. Subsistence. So for mm. us in that particular sport at that time, subsequent to that, they pay more, but I, I was probably earning, you know, seven to $12,000 per year for both playing and coaching just enough mm. to get by. And that was fine. Back then it was a, yeah. it was a blast. Yeah, that's very cool. Sorry, I'm as an athlete and a triathlete, I just, I love hearing about that. But let's come back to talking more about how we can actually have the sort of business success that you've had without devoting every waking hour to work. And I imagine just from what you said before, a lot of it is about restructuring some of our inbuilt habits and also some of the way in which we systemize our business. And I would also suggest that it's being super freaking clear on exactly how and where we want to spend our time. So do you want to dive into what you have seen through coaching all these people as well over the years? Some of the, just the easiest changes that we can make to actually have more freedom in our everyday business. 
Absolutely. And before we get to the mechanics, I just want to step back and just one thing that kind of gets us in the, in the wrong foot, which is what I call your model about, about how money works. And so there are two economies that operate in the world. They're both models of the world. Neither is true, but both we behave as if they're true, one or the other. The first is this time and effort economy. And this, in the time and effort economy, we think I'm getting paid for hours. I'm getting paid for effort. I'm getting paid for attitude. And so to get ahead in the time and effort economy, we say things like, I, I need to work harder. I need to work longer. I need to take work with me on the weekends. But at the same time, there's a second economy operating. What I'll call this the value economy. And the value economy acknowledges I need time and I need some effort to create value, but I don't get paid for the effort. I don't get paid for the time. I get paid for the value that I create. And when I accept that, it changes how I approach things. It's not about putting in hours. It's about creating value. And so in the time and effort economy, I say things like, well, gosh, if I, my boss is going to be upset with me if she sees I'm not busy. In the value economy, you know, I'm going to say, hey, my boss is going to be mad at me if she sees that I'm not producing results. In the time and effort economy, I say, if I, if I don't keep checking my inbox, my apps, I, I might miss something important. But the value economy says, if I keep interrupting my best work by checking my inbox and and habitually checking these apps, I'm not going to be able to contribute my highest value. So when I look at that, now with that understanding, I can make some different changes. I can actually do time different. I, I need time, but I don't need raw, undifferentiated time because most of us, what will happen, I'll give an example. So in my company, there's a woman who runs our marketing. Her name's Kim, and she's phenomenal. She gets so much stuff done, but probably about three months ago, I had a conversation with her. I said, hey, Kim, you get all these tasks done. But what happens is you treat all your tasks the same. And so on your project list, we've created every quarter, your action plan for the quarter. There's two or three things that create more value than everything else. And you're under investing there because you're just trying to tick off more of the to-dos. And I said, what I'm going to ask that you do is to eat the cooking that we put in the Freedom Formula book about how we structure time so that you get five or 10 hours of your best time. So you invest more on those things that are the highest value. And even if that means you let some of the lower value stuff go or you just give it much more cursory stuff. So, you know, to, to create value, I need blocks of my best time. I can't create value in small slivers, five minutes here, 15 minutes there. And so to do that, Natalie, one of the most important things, the simplest things a listener could do right away is they can use a distinction we call focus days and push days. So a focus day is a one day a week initially that you designate as a a day that you're going to work on your highest value tasks, mm -hmm. the things that actually create value. And, and what you'll do is you'll block off as a recurring appointment for yourself, a two or a three or a gulp, perhaps even a four, but even a two <laughs> or three hour block. Mm -hmm. So that, for example, every Thursday, you say from 8.30 to, to 11.30, a three hour block every Thursday. And then every other day is your push day. You're just pushing projects and pushing the job of your work one more step further. And on your push days, you would like to ideally give yourself a one-hour block of focus time. And you make this a recurring appointment. And this is really, really important. The thing that gets people away is they say, oh, I'll just do it with willpower. No, if it's not in your calendar as a recurring appointment, if I, if I see you and meet you and ask for your phone and I look in there and I don't see it as a recurring appointment, I can almost guarantee you that you're not taking the focus time. So mm -hmm. now all I've changed is maybe five, six, seven hours per week. I'm still going to do the other 40 or 50 hours that I'm working just the same. But those four, five, six hours of focus time will probably create more value than all the other time that I have put together. Yeah. And and that, that's just such a simple concept, but people don't do it. And when they do, it, 
it's an epiphany. I, I call that my buffet strategy to time mastery. You know, I, I love buffets, but when I go to a buffet, the first plate of food is what matters more than anything else. If I, if I go and eat junk food for that first plate, I'm in trouble. But if that first plate is my nutritious activities for the business, and I put that in first, I can do all the other stuff, you know, even the same way I used to do it. But those four to six hours of focus time or more can create such value. And that's what I do. Nowadays, I take three focus days a week and then have two push days. But initially, it was just one focus day for one two-hour block. That's where I started with. I'd love to follow up with a couple of questions on that. But first off, I must admit, I thought you said, I call that my butt face moment, not buffet. And I was like, is that like a palm to the face? But this is even worse. It's like the butt in the face to really show you that you've got to pick up. No, so um, when you talk about, I love love this concept and I'm 100% in agreement with scheduling it in your calendar. For people who aren't used to scheduling stuff in their calendar though, what sort of tips do you have for them? Because I use my calendar pretty well, but I also have to look at it and look at it the night before and the morning of if I'm going to follow my own plan, because I have definitely calendarized my whole week before with brilliant intentions of health, fitness, focus, writing, podcast, you know, like really being quite organized with it. And then it still takes discipline to follow your calendar and really stay true to it. So do you have any advice around that? Because even just mastering that skill is pretty important. Absolutely. First of all, let's be clear on what we're saying and what we're not saying. It, it is not important, in my opinion, to schedule every minute of your day. Matter of fact, for most people, and I'm fairly anal attentive, Natalie, so <laughs> even I wouldn't do that. And so instead, what I'll do is I'll call it an appointment. Now, most listeners that are here, I would say nine out of 10, aren't going to be rude and stand somebody up. Yeah, they might make a mistake or be late for 10 minutes here or there. But I think it's most people I know in the business world, whether they're clients of our coaching program or just people I do business with, they're on time for the most part. So if I think about it, not as a time for me to do work, but if I think of it as I've got an appointment with someone who is really important. So imagine I treat it like an appointment with my number one customer or my number one client, or I'm not going to be late for that appointment. And so if I put it on there and treat it that way, I don't have to worry about scheduling everything. But I think even someone who says I don't live by a calendar, they would all agree that if they were going to meet next Thursday at eight o'clock in the morning because their number one client wanted to meet with them for two hours, you better believe they're going to be on time for that. So just honor it with that same degree of seriousness. Yeah, love it. And then the second thing I wanted to ask is when you talk about that focus time, which you're obviously very used to doing now, you've got three focus days a week, as you said, what are some of the key things that go into your focus bucket versus your push? Just to give people an example. Yeah, great. So let's think about, so most people's distinction around time, Natalie, is really basic. They, they think about weekdays and weekends, or maybe they think about, you know, Pareto's principle, the 80-20 rule. So, you know, 20% of my activities give me 80% of the result. Well, if that's true, we'll just make some distinctions here real quickly. So in the book, we talk about this as the time value matrix and kind of sketch it out. But basically think about it this way. If 80% of what you do gives you very little return, that 20%, we'll call that D time. C time would be that 20% that gives us 80% of the result. Just, let's just play with it one more time even. 20% of the 20% would give me 80% of the 80%. And the math works out to be 4%. The sweet spot of 4% gives me 64% of the result. We'll call that B time. Wow. And if I did it one more time, 20% of the 20% of the 20% gives me 80% of the 80% 80%. The math works out to be roughly 1%. This magic 1% of A time gives me half the result. And so what would this look like in their workday? So imagine someone's listening here and they're a self-employed professional, like a, an attorney, for example. You know, one of the people we coach, he, he's a senior partner in a law firm. 
And when I first started talking with him, he thought, oh, I get it. You know, my highest paid time is my billable work because he billed at like 600 bucks an hour. And I said to him, I said, Alan, $600 an hour definitely would be C time for you, but it's not A or B time. What's the difference? Well, you have other things to do. Like, for example, he needed to do things like uh, look at his billing rates for his paralegal staff. And he needed to do things like make decisions about how does he get himself in conferences speaking to generate lots of client relationships that he can bring in billable hours? Or how does he staff down work? How does he hire on more secretarial and paralegal staff that he can bill out at 150 to 200, even though he's paying them a fraction of that? And when he did that work, we're looking at probably a total for the year of maybe about 30 to 50 hours of that A or B level work. He made half a million dollars more profit, not gross, but profit without working any more billable hours. And that's the difference. So for your listener, mm -hmm. junk email and, and scanning documents and returning phone calls from people you didn't ever call them, don't care to speak with, <laughs> meetings that are unproductive, those are all examples of D activities. C activities might be delegating to your assistant or meeting with two staff members to get a project update or maybe doing the actual billable work that you do or project work that you do for a client. B and A work, don't worry. People get hung up all the time. Is it A or is it B? If I know that A and B is different than the actual C or D, I can just, ex over time, the distinction will become clearer. But some examples of A or B level work might be working with a client who's going to refer you more business, like a strategic client. Maybe it's uh, making sure you make the right hire. Maybe it's sitting down and rethinking through your business pricing model. Maybe it's the negotiation of a new lease that you're going to be living with in your business for the next five or 10 years. Those are examples of A and B time. They're a magnitude more valuable than C and certainly than the junk D time that you have. Love it. Thank you. Some really, really great examples in there. And I think we all catch ourselves doing work that is not purposeful, profitable, or even useful for us to be doing. And one of my biggest things that I just talked about in a podcast at the end of 2019 was how much more time I'd spent in my email inbox in 2019 than I ever thought was possible. And that's so not like me. And actually, I've completely changed my strategy for this year. But it was having experienced that and just seeing how much time got taken up with, as you said, emails that weren't worthy of my time or attention, things that I ended up reading or having to deal with that could have been with my assistant. And just actually this general desire to think that I was being productive when I was in my inbox when I wasn't is just one example, I think, of where a lot of people get caught up that social media. And just, as you said, just not prioritizing or knowing what that 4% is that's going to get them. Was it 64% of the results? That's right. And, and that is when you take just, on the pressure rule. <laughs> absolutely. And, and something you said really struck with me. So I noticed for myself, there's a certain point in the day when I, I'm sitting there and I'm working, but I'm recognizing I'm, I'm really not getting anything done. And one thing I've done that's made a big difference in my life, and I just encourage any listener to, to consider the same thing. When you reach a point in the day when you realize, you know, I'm really not getting anything of value done, I'm just kind of going through the motions. What I've learned to do is I just officially declare my work day done. That might be at three o'clock in the afternoon. That might be at five o'clock in the afternoon. Like after this interview, I'm declaring myself done. I've had a good day and, and I'm like, I'm done. And I'm going to go for a hike after this. And I'm, awesome. I've learned when I start doing it that way, I can actually enjoy my life better, number one. But number two, I fool myself to thinking that, oh, I'm still there working, but I'm not. I'm mm -hmm. just doing junk stuff. I'm rearranging this or that. I'm responding to emails for this. I'm puttering and not getting value done. And if I can just leave, I come back refreshed. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, why not enjoy your life more? You're not getting anything of value done anyway, so go do something else. 
Yeah, I think one thing that I found over the years is as I've helped people get more freedom in their daily lives and business is that when it comes to what do they do with the free time that they so desperately wanted, often people don't know. So I'm glad that you're going for a hike, but it's it's this thing that we're so ingrained and built to work, work, work and hustle and to always be doing, not necessarily working, but always be doing that when it comes to, oh gosh, we've actually got some free time, we often don't know how to use it. So I'd love to know from you how you structure your day. You've kind of spoken to a little bit of it already with, you know, calling it when you think your day is done and also how you have your push days and your the focus days. But how else do you structure your day to really reclaim more of that time back and be able to know exactly what you need to be working on and when? That's great. I'll give three quick ideas here on that. So one that I do that it works really well for me is I cluster or group. So I find for me, I don't want to do phone call, then an email, then work on a deep project, then back to this. I, I want to put them and bundle them together. So you know, I, I still keep a small coaching load myself. Most of our clients are coached by our coaching team and following our, our processes and our systems. But for the clients I coach, I'll typically set aside Monday and Wednesday from about 11 o'clock to about three or four o'clock in the afternoon. And those two days are the days that I'll do coaching work. And if a client needs me on a different day, I'm not going to be the one that's doing the coaching for them. That's kind of part of the agreement up front. And what that lets me do is it gives me back Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. Rarely will I do a phone meeting on Tuesday, Thursday, Friday before somewhere around 11 or 12 o'clock. Why? Because my best creative time to do things like writing, to do things like strategic planning, to do things like recording of new content in the studio, which for me are my A and B level activities, I'm best in the morning. Whereas I can go through a business meeting and do well, but I can do that energetically in the afternoon. So for me, I just kind of have a, a broad stroke of my week and I bundle certain things to certain times. Second thing that I do that works really well for me, and then I don't do a to-do list like most people do it. Most people have a to-do list. It's this running list that everything's just another line item, whether it's on my phone, on a task manager, or whether it's a sheet of paper that goes seven sheets long. What I do for me is that at the beginning of the week, I just take 10, 15 minutes and think through what is the biggest, most important things I want to get done this week? I call these my big rocks. And I'll come up with one, two, sometimes three items. And then I draw a big, thick line in my planner. I like doing stuff paper-based because mm -hmm. it, it feels good. I love nice paper. So I draw a thick line there. So I visually mark off that these are the two or three things on my list that actually matter most. And then below there, I'll put the other to-do list. And I know for the week, if I get my bottom lines done and I, I don't get anything else, I'm still coming out really far ahead. So I visually make it obvious on my to-do list, which are the highest value things on there. Not by having this running list that has a thousand things, but my to-do list, I know if it's got more than about 15 specific items on there, I'm not going to get to it anyway. So what, who am I kidding here? So the top of the list is marked off visually. And then the third thing that I do and is every quarter in our company, we create a rolling one-page plan of action for the different pillars of the company, the different functional areas of the company. And we talk about this in chapter three of the Freedom Formula book. And a one-page plan, what it does is it simplifies and says, okay, for me, I've got two focus areas for the quarter. In addition to just doing the job of my role, I'm going to get these two specific things done with the criteria of success and broad stroke action steps and milestones by when, who is responsible. And I, I look at those at the beginning of the week as well, and I pull one or two of those items. And those likely are going to be most or all of my big rocks for the week. When I approach it that way, 
I know what matters most. I can visually see what matters most. I'm not just doing it week by week, but I'm also thinking from a quarter basis, what are really the most important results for that quarter, whether it be to create a new system or whether it be to lock down a new contract or whether it be a, the onboarding of a new key employee. Those are all examples of how I go about it. And I think for me that that's worked really well. It's, it kind of balances off the anal retentive part of me that likes to plan, but it also lets me not get caught up with too many details and get lost in the weeds. I love that. Thank you for sharing. I have a similar process in terms of my three things for the week and three things for each day, but that's across the life, the life circle, I guess, not just for business. But it really, really helps to just have three things and no more. Because as you said, once you've ticked those off, then you can go nuts on the rest of your important to-do list. So I really love that you shared that. Thank you. I have to say that, so a lot of what we've discussed today is really around getting super clear on what you want out of life, what's important to you, your priorities, and having more fun and freedom, obviously. But that takes a certain mindset because the productivity hacks that you've shared and have learned from years of experience with your own clients and yourself take a long time to sort of put into place, I think, and then commitment and dedication to make them work. But do you think that they're intrinsically linked with how you value your time and your life? Because I feel any productivity hack is worthy, but people don't stick with it for the very reason that, in my own opinion, they're not committed enough to making that change in that life and they're not committed enough to doing the work to see that through because they maybe don't value it enough. Would you say that's a fair comment or you think there's something else underlying why people don't say well, I think it's a very fair comment for sure, Natalie, but I'll go one step further. For a lot of people, what they don't pay attention to is the environment that they're in. So whether I'm the owner of the business or I just work in the business or I'm solo employed and I work for other customers, what I find is the culture of where I'm at makes a big, big difference. So for example, as part of the research for the Freedom Formula book, I, for years, I've coached small, mid-sized companies, anywhere from a low of a few hundred thousand in revenue all the way up to 100, 120 million a year in revenue. Those are businesses we've right. coached. But I was talking to some people for some larger companies for the research for the book, and they would describe to me this culture. Like, I'll give an example. I can't mention names. It's a Fortune 50 company, but I had agreed in confidentiality provisions, but I can tell the story. So this is one of the largest integrated manufacturers in the world. This is a you know market cap value of maybe $250 billion company. And I was working with their VP who ran their North America operations. And he described to me this. He said, David, we have meetings in our company once every three weeks, strategic meetings. And what we get is we get this pre-read that they send to us beforehand. And I said, that makes sense. They want everyone to be up to speed for the meeting. He said, yes, but these pre-reads are anywhere from 40 to 80 pages long. And they know that not everyone reads them. So the moment we get on the meeting, everyone has to go back through the stuff that was in the pre-read because they can't count on anyone having read them because they're so long. And he just described the stuff, Natalie, like that. And what it really made me realize was that in his company, it was more important to be seen as someone who was seen as valuable or seen as busy <laughs> than it was to actually get stuff done. And I think for a lot of people who are listening here, either they built this inadvertently where they have a culture where they've pushed their employees or they're the employee getting pushed. But for example, there are times when like, I'll give something I mentioned Kim before. So three weeks ago, I called her up on a Tuesday morning to ask a question. She answered the phone because I'm the owner of the company. But as soon as I asked my question, she reminded me, she said, Dave, remember, Tuesday mornings are my focus time. And she just said it gently, but I had asked her a stupid question because it was not valuable. It was not a high priority. It was more on a whim. And I realized in my company, if I keep doing those behaviors, what I do is I train everybody else to be responsive 
But responsiveness can often kill creation of value. Because if I can't shut mm-hmm. off the world for an hour or for three hours, depending on what I'm doing, then I'm basically saying that, that what I'm working on, it can't be more valuable than the whims and idiosyncrasies of the people I'm talking with. So that was a good reminder. So going back to what you said, I do believe that we have to make a decision that we're going to spend a portion of our time on what matters most. But I think that the culture that we're building in our companies matters. And then I'll go one more. We don't need all of our time to be high value. Even if we just start with, can I get four hours, Mm -hmm. six hours per week of my best time doing those things that matter most? It's extraordinary. I mean, I I'll give another example. I I was doing a workshop. We do an annual event in Maui every year for our high-end clients. We've been doing it for 17 years. And there's a guy there. His name is Carlos. And Carlos is a very successful um, home improvement business owner. He's got a wonderful multi-million dollar business. Really nice man. He and his wife, Teresa, were there. And he said, in his business, we'd ask the question, what's the single highest value place for you to put your time? And for him, the number one constraint for growth for him was finding more really, really good field supervisors for his business, a construction type of business. And I smiled and I said, okay, Carlos, how many hours per week do you spend on this problem? And he just got a grin right there. He said, got it. He just got his million dollar idea there. He realized he was putting less than two hours a week on the single biggest constraint to growing his company. And he's not alone. Most people that I know, they put an hour or two on the single highest value part of their business, if they go to just four hours of focus time, they're going to double or triple or quadruple the actual functional time they spend on the biggest, highest value part of their business. You know, Very quickly, they're going to see a real result with it just by changing a small behavior of four hours, six hours in an entire week. But you know, one of the things I'll mention here is, well, how do you do this for your company versus just as an individual? You know, if I'm if it's just me and I'm a solopreneur, I am the business, so to speak. But later on, I'm hoping that all your listeners are are wanting to build a business beyond just themselves, to build a business, not just to build a self-employed job. And for them, they might discover that when they start with themselves very quickly, they can start doing the same type of thinking for their company by asking in the company. What are those fewer things that make the biggest difference? And, you know, for the, if you're going to read a copy of the Freedom Formula, that's what we talk about in Chapter 3, how to actually find and put your finger on those A and B level activities for your company, and how do you turn that into an action plan every quarter? Yeah, love it. And I think that's the next step, isn't it? I'm wondering if most of my beautiful untapped listeners are going an action plan for a quarter. What's that? So I'll definitely get them to grab a copy of your book, which I'm reading through myself right now and picking up lots from. And also just, I think it's a really important thing is to take what you learn and implement what works for you. Nobody's going to be able to pick up every single thing that you've done over all the years, the past 20 years that you've been working with all these incredible business leaders and companies and put it into action, but taking the things that work for you, simplifying the heck out of it and actually taking action. And would you say that planning is just, I mean, people give (laughs) so much credit to planning when it's done well, but not enough people actually do it. They pay a lot of lip service to it. So how important do you think it is to plan versus how much time it actually takes to sit down and do that, that deep work, that focus work that you were talking about? Yeah, that's a good question that you're asking. Generally, if you think about it, I might look at and say, I'm going to spend two hours to maybe six hours once per quarter to plan out the entire quarter into this 90-day sprint. And the quarter is a really good unit of time to connect my bigger picture goals as a person and or as a company with the day-to-day doing. And then each week, I'm going to probably take 10 to 30 minutes to plan the week. 
And then each day I might only just take even a, a minute or two just to look and think, okay, today, what are the one or two most important things of the entire day? I mean, it's really as simple as that. And it doesn't take a lot. Again, really it's doesn't. less gives you more. Yeah. Yeah. It's just getting that clarity in the first place. And the first couple of sessions of planning it out might feel a little bit painful or tough, but once you get into that rhythm and you know what you're planning and you know what your priorities are, it just gets easier and easier, right? Yeah. And if someone doesn't know how to do the planning, it's normal. No one knows initially. Most of the clients we work with, they've been in business for 20, 30 years and they've never created a plan. But once they go through the motions and do it a second or a third time, it becomes easier. And if you want a model for it, it might not be perfect, although I, I think it's a darn good one because we've used it with several thousand companies. But the one in chapter three, the freedom formula and the examples it gives and the PDF tools you get as part of the book, I wouldn't reinvent the wheel myself. That's one area that I think we've kind of solved the equation. And you can just start with that. And then maybe a year or two afterwards, you personalize it to your, your own company or your own life needs. But start with a model that works. Why not just leverage what someone else has done versus recreate the wheel? hundred oh, percent. I would love to ask you though, how long did it take you and your company to actually create that plan? A decade. I mean, so my, <laughs> my first successful business, Natalie, we did one thing really smart and we did it by accident. Every quarter, my partner and I would get together in person because he was in Denver and I lived in California and San Diego at the time. Right. And so we'd get together every quarter to plan out the coming quarter. We didn't know we were doing strategic planning. We just did it. And when I looked at doing this with other companies about 10 years later, after I'd sold that business and started working with companies that were more than just that specific niche of real estate investment companies, I found myself going back to the questions we would ask. We would ask questions like, you know, what's the highest, most profitable part of our company? What's the single biggest limiting factor more than anything else that's our number one constraint to growth? What's the biggest opportunity that we have? I mean, really good questions. And then we had developed these mechanisms to when we ended up with 20 answers to find a way to get back to one or two that we could really go into and double down on. And so those things took a while to come up with. But once you see them and someone lays them out, they're a blinding flash of the obvious. I mm -hmm. wish they, I could say they were brilliant. It just, it took me a while through trial and error of getting them. But once you see them, it's just, it's really obvious. It's like, oh, of course, every quarter, I should be working on pushing back my company's number one constraint to growth. Every quarter, I should be look, doing something about seizing my biggest opportunity. And we even have this technique called the sweet spot analysis, for example. I was what, just going to bring that up. <laughs> oh, it's such an easy tool now. I use it for everything. So for example, let's say you say my number one constraint to growth is I need more leads coming into my business. Fine. Mm -hmm. What's brainstorm all the ideas we have? I can do pay-per-click ads. I can work on a referral system. I can do a reactivation program with past clients. I can, and then I put all these 10, 20 ideas through these two filters. The first filters I ask of each idea in turn, is this a low-hanging fruit? In other words, is it easy to do, high likelihood of working? And I go through and say, is this low-hanging? Is this a low-hanging fruit? Is this a low-hanging fruit? And I just mark everyone that's a low-hanging fruit with a little LH. Mm -hmm. And then I go back in a second separate pass and I ask, is this a home run? If it works, will it have a big impact? And if it is, is this a home run? If the answer is yes, I put a little HR. Well, if I've got 15 ideas, I probably have six that are low-hanging fruit and probably four that are home runs. And I probably have two or three that might be both. The ones that are both low-hanging fruit and home runs, those are my sweet spot. And think about what that means. It means this is an idea that's going to be easy to do with a high likelihood of working, low-hanging fruit. Mm -hmm. And if it works, it's going to have a big impact, home run. 
And, and just by doing that in that way, it works well. But the key with that is most people say, oh, let me just think up my sweet spot. And it doesn't work. They get stuck. Instead, I literally have to do it in three steps. Step one, brainstorm as many ideas as possible. Step two, put the low-hanging fruit filter to every single idea I have. Step three, separate from the others, is this a home run filter? And now I look at which ones did I, did I mark separately as both low-hanging and a home run, and now it becomes obvious. But if I try to do it all in one big muddled, it won't work. Again, I've, I've taken thousands of business leaders through that process, and if they do it separately, it works. I love this. I'm looking at it right now. I love that it sort of fits on a page as well, because I talk all the time about your sweet spot and monetizing it as a person, how to get paid to do the work that you love and make an impact. But I've actually never applied it to the sweet spot in your business. I probably have inadvertently, but not in so That's much right. detail and rigor. So I really love that you've got this here and you've got the little Venn diagram, which is big, <laughs> my favorite thing as well. So I'm absolutely going to give this a shot with my business because I'm doing a lot of reflection and planning right now anyway. Perfect. And I think this is perfect. And then obviously past that, you put out a mini action plan of where you're actually saying, when are you going to do this by? And what are the, you know, what's the solution here? So I love that because you've obviously got to have the action and the objective and the strategy to go with that. You can't just say, oh, right. these things you've got to actually put into, into action. And Natalie, let me encourage you. So whether it be you or any listener, as part of that book, there's things you can't put into a print book anymore. Just it's impossible. Mm-hmm. But what we did is we put all those tools, the PDF versions. There's a URL that you see in the book, the freedomtoolkit.com URL. You register your book. You actually get all those tools, those downloadable PDFs. So I, I know you know this, but for a listener, you know, again, don't recreate the wheel. Might as well use the templates that we already give you. We've been using them with coaching clients now for what about 16 years now. Awesome, I love it, and yeah, great site and great offer. Thank you so much. So. I think this is a great time for people to go, oh, I just want to dive in and do all these things and actually implement, which is what I always encourage and I'm a huge advocate for. So where is the best place to find out about you? Obviously, you just mentioned the Freedom Toolkit, but buy the book and then you get all those fantastic templates. But where's a great place for people to find out more about the work that you do and also engage with you? I appreciate that. I'll give two websites. The first is for people who want to get the copy of the book. You know, certainly you can get it on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com, but freedomtoolkit.com you can get a sneak peek. You can actually read the first 50 pages of it right there if you like. And then I'm hoping that you'll get hooked and read the rest. And that's where you would go to register your book to get access to the other tools, training videos, and so forth. And then the other resource, if there's someone who has more of a substantial business, we have a, our main core website called MauiMastermind.com. And at MauiMastermind.com, we have resources for people who are scaling companies that want to build a business, not just own a job. Beautiful. Love it. And who doesn't love Maui? It's a gorgeous place to be in. (laughs) It is a gorgeous island in Hawaii. Thank you so much. This has been a blast and just really appreciate you unlocking hopefully a lot of people's potential around what is possible for them when they focus and they focus on what matters. Well, thank you for having me on here, Natalie. And I wish all your listeners the very, very best. So I really hope that you enjoyed my chat with David, although I do feel a little bit more like I was just getting schooled in (laughs) really how to take your business to the next level and be ruthless in terms of your focus and prioritization, but back that up with some really great habits and structures that you keep coming back to. A lot of what he talked about made sense to me so much on the level of how I use LifePilot. And I use LifePilot for business and life. And this felt very much like taking LifePilot and working it just for your business. And a little hint on that, we do have something coming out this year called Team Pilot, which is all about taking the Life Pilot principles 
of goal setting and intentions and reflection and applying it to your team, not just in your personal and professional life. So really excited about that. But in the meantime, I would recommend you check out his book, The Freedom Formula. Come across to nataliesisson.com forward slash 051 because this is episode 51. And I have linked to the book there. I have linked to other resources. And there's a really great summary of our interview there, some of the show notes, which will help you if you want to bookmark this one and come back to it and keep implementing and taking action. I'll be so proud of you. In the meantime, if you want to learn how to get paid to be you, to find your own sweet spot, that intersection between your knowledge, your skills, your experience, and what makes you truly unique, which is you, then grab my free guide called Get Paid to Be You over at nataliesisson.com. It's right there on the homepage. Grab it. It's an audio book, short and sweet, plus a workbook that you can use to figure out how you can create multiple revenue streams from being you. I'm Natalie Sisson. I don't have much more to say. I think it's all being said today, but thank you so much for listening in to the Untapped Podcast as always. Bye.